0: Welcome to episode 275 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Guys, welcome along to episode 275 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsome and Bevan James Isles. And today's show is obviously going to be a little bit different to what we normally do because. The coach, John Newsom is over in France right now doing Epic Camp. So uh, I'm going to tell you about what we're going to do in a minute. But before I do, t- I Am Talk is proudly brought to you by Coffees of Hawaii for the world's most tastiest coffee. Um, Athlinks.com for social networking for endurance athletes and extreme endurance for your lactic buffer to help you get rid of the pain and race faster. So this week's show is going to be different to the normal show that we normally do because I, I wasn't really able to get hold of John. We were hoping to get hold of each other on the weekend to do some Epic Camp interviews, but I think John's pretty limited when it comes to internet access, and I know that during the week I was talking to Belinda, his partner at the gym the other day, and she was saying saying that during the week he's pretty much got no internet access and only on the weekends, so hopefully next weekend he would have done a few Epic Camp interviews and... Um, you know, and got that happening and so we can have some interviews for you next week and maybe even I'll be able to catch up with John next weekend. So hopefully next week will be a bit more of an epic camp interview type of show. Um, so today's show is going to be completely different to what we normally do. Uh, there's not going to be no news or anything because to be honest I've done no P's but um, although I must say good old Carl, Carl Hayes from Zone sent me through a bit of a, a wrap up of the week and so if you want to check out some news go to TriZone, that's T R I Z O. N-E dot com and uh dot A-U, dot, com dot AU. It's an Australian website and he's just got a bit of a wrap-up of the news and he's talking about uh steelhead and actually we got a bit of feedback from you guys. There's a bit of kind of anger over the steel race with the swim and stuff like that, and apparently there's a bit of a, a bit of a bike train happening and uh he's got a bit on um the Philippines, how Pete Jacobs rock the party and stuff. So if you want to do check out the news, you can go to tryzone con.au or any other try website out there. So this one, this week's show is going to be a little bit different. We did know that when John was in France, we would be struggling a little bit to get you know the internet, you know, getting shows happening. And to be honest, when Joe's on Epic, I mean John, Joe, get some more crap out. When John's on Epic Camp. The boy's working his butt off. You know, he trains all day, but he pretty much did up an hour or two before the boys. He works till the end of the day. Like he's the boy works for his money. I tell you. So uh, you know, I'm sure he's really struggling to get anything out there. So maybe, hopefully, this weekend we can catch up. But we did know that he was going to be really busy, and so we actually sort out an interview with Tamsin Lewis, who is an up and coming pro, who actually worked with the Brett Sutton team TBB um, for a while there, and decided to withdraw from working with them. And she's got some really good insight into what she's doing, and then later on the show, because that interview is only about 30 minutes long, uh, I thought I'd chuck in one of my episodes of Fitness Behaviour, one that I thought may be applicable to you guys in Triathlon. so it's going to be a combination of the interview with Tamsin and uh, the... Um, my show of fitness behaviour but I'll tell you more about that later on so before we get started I might th- just talk to you about a sponsor so before I put Tanzam on so first of all pull up Coffees of Hawaii what am I going to talk about so normally what happens when we do the show is John's very good he does the show notes that's kind of his job and when he does the show notes he always writes down the thing we're going to talk about in regards to this, the um, sponsors and today I haven't done that so what I'm doing is I'm looking at the Coffees of Hawaii website and I'm thinking what's the new thing that they've got up on their website one thing I will say about Coffees of coffees of hawaii they are pretty good at updating their website all the time with new and new things that they're doing and the one thing they've got on the website right now is they've got new decaf coffees so for those of you who like the taste of coffee but maybe you know at the end of the day you like your taste of coffee but you don't want the caffeine in it well coffees of hawaii have a selection of around let me have a look here two four six eight sheep there's about eleven different types of coffees that are decaf so you can have your island style macadamia nut all the flavours and value of a regular island style macadamia nut without the caffeine. So let's say you know you like you like to have your coffee hit in the morning so you get the caffeine hit to kind of get you fired up for the day, but then at night time you still want to have coffee but you don't want that caffeine in it so you can you know you might have trouble sleeping. Well, that's where you can come and get these decaf coffees. They've got you know all the island styles. They seem to have island style toast, toasted coconut, all the decaffeinated flavour without the caffeine. It's no brainer. The vanilla style. I do like the vanilla. I haven't tried the coconut, and I have to admit that does seem quite appealing. When I'm in Cone Albert, that's what I'm thinking. Um, Cone and Nightingale, and we've got some um, Molokai Island Princess decaf as well. So they've got lots of different selections of coffee for you. For you know, maybe if you don't even like the caffeine at all, you could have that as your permanent coffee, or like I was saying earlier. If you're looking for different times of the day where you don't actually want the high of caffeine, but you still want the flavor of coffee, you can check out some of these here. Now what you do is you go to the website, there's a link on the front page which will take you through to them. You click on the one you want, I've clicked on my toasted coconut right here, and then you can select what grind you want, I'm gonna go whole bean, and then you can select how much you want, seven ounces, two pounds or five pounds, and add it to cart, takes you through the process, you click on through, you put in your I Am Talk discount, and you'll be rocking all the way to the party, and when your friends come over for coffee, you'll look really sophisticated, because you've got the cool coffee happening, you grind up your beans, oh yeah, it rocks, so guys, if you, are, if you haven't checked out Coffees of Hawaii before, or if you have, and you want some more, go to coffeesofhawaii.com, because it is the world's best coffee. Not denying it. Okay, so I'm going to chuck on the interview that we had with Thames and Lewis. She's a she's a really interesting interview, and she was pretty upfront about everything. So uh, here's Thames and Lewis.
1: Right on this week's show, very happy to have uh, somebody who's a lot smarter than us, Doctor Tamsin Lewis. A lot smarter, yeah. and we and we
0: claim we're pretty smart too, don't we, John? Well, yeah, we, we try to sometimes. <laughs> but she's
1: um, really been uh, one of the shakers and movers on the scene so far this year, having some great races at Albert Dewez. Uh, Back in 2009, she won the 30-34 age group at the ITU World Short Course Champs in Australia, and now uh, looks to be going long. And also has some insight, um, having been part of Team BB for a little bit. So uh, Team
0: TBB, team John. Team TBB. We always get that wrong, do, oh, and
1: yeah. we get told off. So yes. sort your group out. So welcome along to the show Tamson.
2: Hello, nice to be here, guys.
1: Cool. So you're obviously part of a, um, you know. I watched the London um, ITU race this morning and the sport is just kicking butt (laughs) in in, uh, the UK. But having said that, when I looked at the BBC website yesterday, um, Helen Jenkins winning the women's race didn't even make it onto the sport page. Um, But, you know, you've got so many good athletes and and obviously you're another one that's sort of coming through. So fill us in a bit on your your background. Obviously we know about 2009 and a little bit about um, this year, but but where have you sort of come from?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, Well i'm a bit of a late comer to triathlon i sort of started off in 2007 as a sort of a dare really someone said why don't you do a triathlon um i was quite a bit of a gym bunny and sort of you know was going to the gym quite a few times a week and that's
0: hardcore i love it, I love it.
2: <laughs> oh no um so yeah, I, that was that was my first triathlon, and I it was um, I managed to win my age group. So I was kind of like, oh, maybe I should do this a little bit more seriously. So um, that's where it started for me. Before that, I mean, I used to swim when I was a kid um, up until about the age of twelve. I was I was pretty handy, but you know, um, I went to the national schools championships and all that sort of thing. But sort of didn't swim for about. Ten, ten years. So I had to start that up again, which was which was difficult. But um, I kind of uh, I came from a background with my dad was a professional cyclist. Um, back in the day of Tom Simpson, um, who you may have heard was yeah. the guy that famously died on the yeah. died on the Ventoux. Um, my Bivin's, dad was Stephen's gu- nodding his head. Yeah. He really doesn't have a clue yeah. what you're talking about. Me and me, Tom were tight.
1: <laughs>
0: Back in the day, <laughs>
2: <laughs> they, were the, they were the crazy days when they used to drink whiskeys on the side of the road on the on the mountain stages. Um, but yeah, so I, I kind of grew up with my dad as a cyclist. So I was always on a bike um, and doing things, but never never really did much competitively. Um, a bit of running at university, I did quite well, but studying took precedence, as did uh, drinking and partying. Unfortunately. <laughs> But um, we got out of that, um, and I decided to yeah get a bit fitter and focus on doing some doing some training. So
1: you're so, you're, you're a medical doctor, is it? I know you're a doctor, is it a medical doctor?
2: Yes, I uh, I did my medical training and then deviated a bit into psychiatry, which I've been doing for well, I did three years before I've um, took some time out to to train as a pro. Oh. So I do that, and I also am starting to do a bit of sports medicine as well, doing some studying on that side. So that's where my future will kind of be.
1: So obviously um, this year you, know, you had a great race down there in, in Alpe d'Huez. Um, what else have you sort of been up to this year, and what are what are your sort of plans going forward?
2: Um, yeah, Alpe d'Huez was a bit of a surprise for me because um, – I broke my collarbone seven weeks ago when in racing 70.3 in Switzerland. So that set me, set me quite a way back. You know, I couldn't swim, um, for four weeks. I was quite lucky. I turned around quite quickly. I sort of healed well, but, um, my fitness going into Alcduez wasn't as good as it, you know, perhaps could have been. Mm. Um, I was quite happy to race well. Um, so I climb well because so, I'm quite light, so I think that always gives me a bit of an advantage. But it was, a, it was a tough day. You know, it was raining and cold and it was a proper strength race, a proper sort of grit and determination. Uh, and I was determined, so <laughs> I did quite well.
1: Tell, tell us a little bit about the course, because obviously we know you go up to is at the end, but we've had a few people sort of telling us about um, the course and you look at the profile. What are, what are the other climbs like on that course, Say relative to up to
2: it's it's brutal, you know. I mean, I don't think people people underestimate it every year. They go into it and go, holy, you know, this it was really hard. Because the first climb, before you even get to Alpe Juez, there's 1,700 meters of climbing over mm. the other two poles. Oh, really
0: well.
2: Yeah, so the first climb is a, over an hour climb, and then another hour and 10-minute climb, which is slightly less of a gradient further on. So it's pretty relentless um as a as a as a course, and as you're climbing up the Alp at the end, you've always got it but in the back of your head that you have this twenty two k run at nineteen hundred meters what was it like it's pretty <laughs> It's pretty shocking too because it's all <laughs> it's all on trail um and it's very hilly you know you're either up or down and you can't really get a rhythm so it's it's a test all the way um and so yeah, I was. I'd spent a week, ten days prior to the race up, up at altitude, so I was a bit more accustomed to the, to being able to breathe a bit better. No, but I know no, a lot no. of the amateurs found it tough.
1: Even you would expect yeah. it. Hey, um, um, <laughs> when I chucked your name into to, to Google to just do a little bit of research, I saw an article on. Um, Try two four seven com, whatever it was, um, and it was, I think it was a fairly old one. Before you won the worlds in Australia for your age group, and I think back in those mm. times you were being coached by Michelle Dillon, and then um, and then you went into Team TBB. So yeah. w- when you um, when you're going into Team TBB, um, what was your sort of level? Obviously, you'd, you'd won a world age group title, but it was that at that time. Was that when you said, right, I'm gonna give it a crack at um, training professionally, or had you already been doing that for a while?
2: No. Um, the age group world was, again, a little bit of a shock for me. I'd, Michelle was always very confidence-boosting for me. She said, you know, you've got potential, Tam. You, you, you're going to do well. I didn't really expect to win until, well, it actually happened. Yeah. And then after that, I kind of thought, you know, if I need to take it any further, I need to take some time off work because it was – I was constantly chasing my tail at work, you know, as you can imagine, Mm -hmm. um, going in and out and just trying to run at lunchtime and swim after work and all the rest. But Michelle um, said to me that I I should consider, you know, training full time and and, and seeing where I could get. Um, So I had the option of either, you know, concentrating on Olympic distance, perhaps with her um, or, you know, meeting with Brett Sutton uh, and training with the team I happen to know my boyfriend is uh, a good friend of, of Chrissy Wellington and she, he had been out and trained on a few camps just as a friend um, when Chrissy was with Team TBB um, so he introduced me to Brett um, and we had quite a few long email conversations and he basically signed me up and said come over to Thailand and train with us um, and I did um, in February 2010. And I had it over there, and that was a, a bit of a shock to the system <laughs>
0: just, just before we go into your team TTB, TBB experience was it, like you know you've obviously been quite an academic person and you know had this career path that you've worked hard towards you know then mm. you look at a sport where you know maybe at the time you didn't know there wasn't much finance involved in the sport, but you know was it a tough decision to move away from this academic career that you've been working really hard at to move towards sport more or or were you kind of pretty driven to take that decision? Um, uh,
2: the decision was kind of made for me after I. I wouldn't have done it if I hadn't had, had the things that I put in place, which was my my workplace, my we um, my career was. Um, I was allowed to take a sabbatical. Um, so they basically said, "You can have up to three years to give this a shot, and we'll oh, still wow. keep it for you." So um, I was quite lucky in that, and also the place I was working at the time, place called the Priory, which is uh, uh, works with people with addictions, um, etc. They they offered me some sponsorship money, oh, wow. so basically um, I got a got a fair whack to sort of see me through. So I was very lucky. Um, so those um,
0: the kind of normal stresses people would have around those decisions were actually made pretty easy
2: for you. Yes. Um, I, I said to myself at the beginning, though, you know, I'm going to give myself a year and see if, you know, see if anything comes of it, and then I'll I'll go back to work. Um, but, you know, things often don't work out quite as cut and dry as
1: that. Yeah. <laughs> it's not black and white. And no. I guess one thing, um, you know, I'm always interested in is, is we hear a lot about Brett Sutton and his, his techniques, but in terms of the actual training when you went in there, you'd obviously – You know, you've been, um, Michelle Dillon's um, no mug, so she would have, I'm sure, been pushing you fairly well in sessions. And you've been doing the sport for a couple of years, so I'd imagine you're training pretty hard. But was the training regime itself, in terms of the actual sessions you are doing, drastically different to what you you did in the past or or what you might be doing now? Was was it really different? Uh,
2: In one word, yes. Um, When I was training with Michelle, Uh, It was a lot, you know, I was doing 16 hours a week maximum, um, leading up to the world age group championships. And that was in a heavy week, you know, Mm -hmm. probably 14. So when, before I came out to, to went out to Thailand, Brett sort of sent through a training program and it was more like, you know, 22 hours. And I kind of looked at it and went, no way, you know, it was a massive difference to me. Mm -hmm. But, um, actually more like 27, I think it probably was, um, but it took me a while to get used to the volume because I, I just hadn't done it. You know, um, the big difference was the volume, and, and Brett's very good at that. He knew that I, um, you know, I had I didn't have much of an endurance base, so he kind of puts put the volume in, you know, in short sessions. You know, so we'd do double bikes or yeah. I'll do double run days and things like that to try and build it up. But that was a bit of a shock to the system, the volume difference. Yeah.
0: At this stage, were you thinking um, Olympic or long?
2: Well, uh again Bretzner uh, very much a straight talker and he said it, said it to me as he straight out, you know, you you're never going to you're not going to be a uh, a good enough swimmer to make the 2012 Olympics. Um and he said that within 10 days of meeting me.
0: It's <laughs> break your heart.
2: <laughs> nice. <laughs> and I kind of went, "No, I can try, you know."
1: Uh-huh.
2: <laughs> and he's like, nah. "No." He, he said he said got a head for short course, but you've got a body for long course. Yeah, So um, yeah. that's the choice goal. <laughs>
1: okay. And um, again, uh, so much, um, you know, when we look at team sports, so much of it is about the culture of the team. But is obviously not a team sport, but more and more we're seeing that the coaches that are able to get a team together, whether it be Brett Sutton or Darren Smith or whoever, um, getting these groups together seem, seem to work very well. Do you do you think that the team culture is an important part of Team BB, or is it more T-B-B, John. Team TBB? Sort of that, okay. or if you do is it one more time. It's Team yeah. More Ups. Or is it more the, the Brett Sutton, the the, the the coach, that makes a difference? Or is there a, a really strong team ethic in there?
2: Do you know what? I I don't think there is. I think the environment that Brett creates is very beneficial to training, and it's something I miss um, not being part of the team now um you know he he keeps his athletes away from all the you know bullshit i don't know if we're allowed to say that on you, the you editor. Say um,
0: if you want to air <laughs>
2: <laughs> um you know he he hates the the tri-world the geek triathlon world bullshit thing and he likes to keep people away from that as much as he can obviously it's very difficult with the internet and stuff but you know thailand we're completely out in the sticks there's nothing around um and switzerland is pretty much the same you know you're out, and there's there's nothing much else around. But um, on a social level, the, 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 you know, some of the team come together, and they're, and they're they're close. You know, um, Jody Swallow, Beck Keats, Nicholas Buick, who trains out there as well. You know, they're all they're all friends, but there are elements where it's not uh, you know friendship based. Um, but I think it helps the training. Um, I mean, the swim sessions are very much team-based. You know, they're very hard. Um, and that's the one thing that sticks with me from Brett's training is the swim sessions were always very hard. Um, but, yeah, does the, tr- does the team help? I, I think a bit, yes.
0: Um, so, but, think- but you're kind of saying deep down it's actually more just the fact you're surrounded by amazing athletes all the time, which then drive you on to another level in yourself?
2: Yes. Um, yeah, I think that's the case as well. And Brett's Brett's very clever. He sends you out with the people that he wants to send you out on the bike with. You know, um, he he gets you to train with the girls that he wants you to train with. Um, he pairs people up, you know, for a reason. Yeah. Um, and I know he used to do that with Bella. And uh, I had a, myself and Bella Bayless didn't get on particularly well. And I'm sure she won't mind me saying that when we got there because I was the new kid on the block. And you know, I was swimming up her. Up on her feet on the, in the pool, and we 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 had a few blow ups, and um, that but does, now it doesn't sound
1: anything like Bella. <laughs> <laughs> Bella blowing up people in the pool. Oh my goodness, we had some huge blow ups and Christchurch when she was here. She's a great girl, but man, yeah, she says what she thinks. She's she's on a mission.
2: Oh really, yeah, good, okay, <laughs> yeah. I didn't didn't make money. She didn't. <laughs> yeah. So
1: uh, tough. in terms of um, obviously you're not with the team now. It, it, obviously, so many he's so successful, Brett, with with so many athletes. But we know that it d- doesn't work for everybody. Um, why Why did it not really work for you? And, and why did you sort of move on?
2: Um, I'd say in the first instance that I learned a lot from Brett. The most thing, I, the best, I can't know to say that it was the best or the, the most important thing I learned was that the work ethic. And I think other athletes will say the same. You know, it, it is your job now, and you need to get up and, and you do the sessions on time. And if you know, if you're late for a session, it's like being late for work and there will be consequences. So that, that stays with me. Um, but one of the reasons we didn't work is because, I mean, from the outset he said to me, um, or through my partner, he said, um, she better not think she can out psych a psycho. Um, (laughs) and that, (laughs) that um, was pretty much it really. We, um, we are he's a control freak and uh you know i don't think he'd mind me saying that um everything has to be controlled and his way and he said to me you know if i want you to push a peanut with your nose on the run you're gonna damn well do it and i kind of said well no i'm not and that didn't work you know i mean it has to be his way or no way and our personalities didn't suit because i would question some things and you know i'd want to know why we were doing something yeah and he he doesn't like that you know you you need to do it just because um there's no answers or or way around it as it were
0: so, so, so if you're going to go into a system you are basically going to have a lot of faith in him and totally trust it 100 percent.
2: absolutely and i think that's why he's had so much success with jody Swallow. is it she just trusts him 100 and um and does everything he says but uh for me it was far too controlling and um he controls every aspect of your life, you know, um it's not just the training, it's it, he's always in your head, you know. He's always on Skype or email or you know, he wants to know everything. Um and he does know everything. If you ever meet him, he's a very smart guy and he sees people, he reads people very well. So there's no hiding. <laughs>
1: It that way. Does he make that sort of clear when obviously went through a bit of an evaluation period over email, um, going back and forth? I'm sure he screens people pretty, pretty well. Um, does it? Does he make it that pretty clear when you, when you sort of sign up, saying right, you have to do everything I tell you to do, or you, you basically you're off the team?
2: Not really, actually. And we, when I first met him, he was very nice to me, and we were we were almost like Pali in Thailand. And especially, I actually broke my collarbone, had a crash. This, first two weeks I was out with the team and he was very supportive and 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 caring through that um, and still said to me you know you can get back and you can train and and my first race with the team I came second in the 70.3 UK just behind Bella so um, he had he was good and he had a lot of faith in me then but the more the training went on um, the more he wanted to have control over over what I did and and we had a big argument in the pool one day, and it was very embarrassing for me, and it was very embarrassing for him. Almost, you know, I I got out and had a sip of water um, from a uh, from a just a drinks bottle because I'd been swimming in the wetsuit. Um, and there aren't any. You're not allowed to have drinks by the pool in breath sessions because you train your body to to deal without fluid. Because in the Ironman race, you can't take on fluid, so we never swim with fluid. So anyway, we had a big blow up, and it kind of went downhill from then because um, I couldn't couldn't cope with being treated like I was a child. Um, put it that way. <laughs> um, but you know, I'm still I still talk to Brett. I still respect his uh, his opinions, his training, and uh, he had a big influence on me.
0: So I suppose the question is, in who would you know? For you, it doesn't sound like that kind of environment where it almost sounds a bit like army, like you know, where you you listen to your sergeant and you never question you know like what athlete does that work for do you feel
2: um it it takes a certain personality um I, i'd say quieter personalities but Jodie's not quiet um she just uh, i don't know she, he just works for her i mean she she just accepts accepts the way things he says things but um i think it's difficult when you've got a when you've had a job first when mm. you've been in a In a career where, you know, it's like, I don't know what what the right word is, it's a normal working environment, you know, where you you have normal conversations with people, but it was very much a, you do as I say, or you're out type thing. And there was a lot of threats, you know, banded about, and I found that very difficult because I never knew where I was. Um, So create that instability. Yeah, I mean, he wanted me to do Ironman almost, you know, immediately. And I'm like, well, the longest run I've done is 13 miles, and I've only done a couple of them. Um, so I struggled with that because I didn't feel that I was ready. Um, um, but I guess it, some people, like, don't question it. They just do.
1: And so you've moved on now to, um, to to different pastures. I mean, how's that working out for you? Is it, is it sort of back to a a similar sort of way that it was with Michelle Dillon in terms of a, relation, a coach-athlete relationship or are you sort of, is it a partnership or are you still sort of being told exactly what to do? How's it working now for you?
2: Um, I, I'm i coached by Cliff English now, um, who's based in the States in Tucson. Um, he coaches TJ Tollockson, Hunter Kemper, um, I used to coach Sam McGlone, that's probably who you know him through. Mm. Um, I've, I've met with him a couple of times, but a lot of it is email and, and, and Skype, etc. And he's very different because he's a very positive coach. You know, he's a bit more like Michelle. He's very encouraging. Um, there's no damning. I always used to be very scared of what Brett would say to me after each session or after each race. You know, he's very difficult to please. Um, and I'd end up being upset a lot of the time, as are a lot of his athletes. You know, they're yeah. constantly striving to... You know, not to impress, but you know, to to make him happy, which is a very difficult thing. But my current coach is, you know, is very encouraging. He's got a lot of belief in me. Um, The way we do things differently is that I do a lot more with power now, um, with watts, with GPS. I mean, I very rarely with Brett. I didn't use GPS at all or watts. He doesn't. He doesn't really like it. We did a lot of eight hundred sessions on the track. A lot of pace based track sessions with Brett, um, so I do a lot less track work now because I ended up getting injured and having to run through that, and that caused a lot of problems.
1: <laughs> I, uh, what it what uh, We have got also. There's always myths around um, Brett Sutton. Is there any sort of <laughs> He's a mysterious? Man. Is there any classic sort of things that, that stand out for you in terms of maybe sessions or or things he doesn't let athletes do? I mean, the water bottle one there is is an a interesting one. where you said you can't drink when you swim, but is there any other sort of real um, head scratching sort of things that he does that um, some of our listeners might find pretty entertaining
2: Um, he, he I know that I mean I did, he didn't do this directly when I was there but I think it was Hilary Biscay he made run a marathon on the treadmill no, it's in true. a I'm tiny true box it. like yeah <laughs> had that one and then I mean in, in, barely, in a hallway in a white hallway it was a yeah. Hallway, so I mean, yeah.
0: yeah she told us that story <laughs> okay.
2: It's pretty brilliant, and Bella used to um, used to run a marathon on the track, um, yeah. you know, in eight hundred. Oh, nice. Yeah, oh, I yeah. found that pretty scary. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's scary. There was she you know, she'd just run around and then eat a Mars bar halfway through, and then eat a bit more and <laughs> keep going and going and going. You're like, wow. It's, yeah. It's 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 she, she had to train very hard. Bella did to, to keep at the level that she did.
0: So um. um what do you got what you know like you're kind of starting to get some results that are kind of giving you notice out there where's kind of your direction here forward
2: um you know i'm i'm pro I'm just gonna head to do as many seventy point threes now as I can now I'm fit and I can swim again um I was considering doing the European champs this weekend, but coaches, I need some harder training under my belt um so, I'm, you know, I'm going to end up doing long course because it's it's where my strength is. I can just keep going and going at the same pace. But uh, psychologically, I need to get my head around the marathon and then uh, and then we'll go for that.
0: <laughs> so, so Kona is the long-term goal or is it just kind of playing your cards as you see them right now?
2: It's playing my cards. I don't want to be just another athlete that goes to Kona and, you know, finishes 25th or something like that. You know, I've always said that I... You know, if I'm not consistently doing well and in poding in, around the world, then uh, you know I'm going to go back to work. But um, obviously, like I said, it's not as simple as that. But yeah, I mean, Kona would be great. I was there last year, and with supporting my partner, who's who's been there five times, um, wow. and it's 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 an amazing place. It's, you know, it's, what else? What
0: else? it's got so. that Just one question here. It's kind of a random one. In regards to, you know, now you've gone from being in the working environment, you know, it's you know, the academic world, and you've been, it sounds like you've done really well there. Now you've moved into being the athlete. Do you think it's going to be funny to go back to the work environment?
2: Yes, because you constantly think about yourself as an athlete, and that's something I, I struggle with oh, okay. some days. Because every day, all you do is you wake up, you think about yourself, what you need to eat, drink, sleep, train, you know, how you do well in sessions, that sort of thing. Um, and I, I miss the part that, that, you know, thinking about other people, about caring for people, um, you know, that side of me as a doctor. Mm. So I almost look forward to that a little bit. Um, however, you know, that's going to be, it's going to be a tough call, um, having to, you know, to give up the amount of training because you often miss that feeling of being absolutely shattered at the end of the day. You know, if I'm not shattered at the end of most days, I'm like, oh, I haven't done enough. Um. So obviously I'll have to give that up when I when I go back to work.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting. I often talk to people about this and how well, if, when moving away from Man, it's, it's really hard because you've got so much esteem that comes from that adversity that you face every day that to, to move away from that and find esteem in other areas can be quite a challenging thing.
1: Mm. I've never done it, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, one
1: other thing that you're, um, you're doing at the moment, which is obviously um, links in with, with Iron Talkers, you've been using yeah. Extreme Endurance. So... Tell us how that's been working for you. Obviously, you've got a, a medical background as well, so um, yeah, how has that been working for you?
2: Um, well, I, I I I notice a difference, um, and, and a lot of people say that you know, they're not quite sure how it works or why it works. But you know, if you read the the research, there, it's pretty plain to see that it, it definitely makes a difference in terms of helping recovery from from intense exercise. And I and I've noticed that, you know, I recover so quickly after hard sessions compared to how I used to. And some might say, you know, that's just a training effect. But um the the post, you know, post intense exercise soreness is, is a lot less and I'm totally convinced of that. Um as are people that I, you know, tell about it and, and try it for themselves. So I'm really glad to have them on board as sponsors because yeah, I I I think it works and it's it's you know. Especially after <laughs> races like
0: up to ears, you know, <laughs> you need that, <laughs> and then that's That's the um, thing, it is,
1: that's for me, it's just that post-muscle soreness is, you know, I've done enough racing over enough years to know that...
0: There we go, back in 33. Back in
1: 33, <laughs> that how sore you get after races, and um, since I've been using it, it's been significantly less, so... Get on it. So, um, yeah, well, hopefully I might be able to catch you over in um, France um, next week. might get the girls along to spank us all around. They yeah, will
0: too, mate. They'll blitz you. That will be entertaining. Yeah. Melina will be at the Olympic race and then, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, um, so, so I'm hoping,
2: that, um, I'm hoping that Rachel will be a bit tired for the first week because she's just done a, a tri-star in Estonia today. Oh, did she? Uh, oh. Yeah, she won. So, yeah, she had a good day.
1: I'll just mm-hmm. like put that on today's show. We will. Yes. Yep. So um, all the very best for the rest of your season. And, um, you. and yeah, we look forward to maybe, maybe meeting you, otherwise just
0: following your progress. Watching you dominate the dojo. Mm.
2: Do my best, guys. <laughs> okay.
0: Thanks for your time. Thanks Thank for coming you. to
2: the show. All right. See ya. Okay.
0: So there's uh, teams and Lewis, and uh, it was a pretty interesting discussion. And we might actually, John and I might actually talk about Discussion we had with her on the show when John gets back because she's got some really interesting insight into. You know, life is you know a pretty successful person transitioning into triathlon, and obviously that Team TBB, uh, Team TBB experience, and uh so yeah, it was, it was, she was a lovely person too. Hey, and and before the show, we were actually talking to her and saying, "Have you ever listened to the show?" She said she's been listening from the start. So hey, any any pro that listens to our show, we love you. So keep on rocking. So anyway, uh, there was Tamsin and Lewis. Now just before I go on to the next part of the show, I'm going to talk to you about Ethlinks.com sponsor number two of the I Am Talk, and athlinks.com the cool thing I was just going to do my little John's research before I kind of talked about Ethlinks, and I pulled up the website. And one thing they really do is they're good at establishing relationships with companies that can get you discounts on things that you know you may want to use in your training. And, and recently we've been talking about the CP socks that they've had up on their front page. Well, now that's just changed, and I went to Ethlinks.com just now, and they're promoting a tool that Mecca seems to love, and it's called Complex, and it's a uh, it seems to be a and a recovery tool. I think it's one of those muscle contraction devices. And they're saying that it basically helps performance every day, uh, exercise more muscle fibers in less time and recovery quicker, gain safe, effective, and legal competitive advantage with FDA clearance uh, MNES technology. So what it is is I think it's one of those muscle contraction devices and I just love it because Mac is doing the promo and he's saying Complex makes me recover quicker after a hard workout or competition. It's a state of an art tool that is now a part of my daily routine. I wish I'd found it earlier in my career. So, but the cool thing is, if you want to check out this device and maybe get one yourself, you know, if you go to their website and you click on the link and use the Aflinks code, you get a discount. So it's a bit of a no-brainer. Never cool thing, like I had not even signed into Ethlinks today. I just kind of pulled up their front page. But it knows where you are and it knows where people are in your area. And so on Ethlinks. I, uh, I, you know, you can see on my front page, you've got members near you, and I've got Andrew, uh, Matthew Savage from Palmerston North, Andrew Kerr, T-Rex, or Diplodocus um, then we've got, Anthony Ham from Hastings. We've got Danny Eagleton from Napier. We've got Paul Miller from Tauranga, and Rob Moore from Auckland. So, you know, like, if you're in a local area and go on Athletics, you can check out people close to you and, you know, once you sign in, it could be more specific and give you, you know, people in your area you can actually contact and maybe train. And I know for a few of you, like, I know when I first started doing triathlon... I didn't know anyone for my first Ironman. I didn't actually know anybody to train with, so I didn't know any training routes. I didn't know anyone to train with, so basically, first Ironman I ever did, I trained every bit by myself. I think I went for one training ride with another person, and I went. My training routes was just the boringest routes of all. I basically went on one straight road in one direction, turned around, came back, and I did that ride every day because. I didn't really know training rides because I wasn't really an experienced athlete. So, you know, if you are new to triathlon and you're looking, you know, for people to train with athletes.com is a really good way to do it. Cause you can check out people in your area and, and, you know, triathletes are a really cool bunch of people. So you could just email someone through Ethlinks and just say, you know, I'm looking for some some to train with or some training routes. Could you give me a hand? And I guarantee that the people will be really helpful in helping you kind of get out there and learn more about the sport in your area. So Ethlinks.com. if you aren't a part of it already, check it on the website and join up and you too can get all the benefits of being a member on Ethlinks.com. Okay, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to choose a show of um, fitness behavior which is, I suppose, for, you know, I know a lot of you guys probably listen to Fitness Behaviour, so you may have actually heard this one before, but for those of you who don't listen to Fitness Behaviour, Fitness Behaviour is, it's another podcast I do just by myself, and it's really based around general fitness kind of uh, education, I suppose, and it kind of, I'm always fascinated with the concept of why is it that you get one person who just knows they're going to exercise for life, and I imagine when I talk to you guys, you know you really identify with that like I know that for the rest of my life I'm going to exercise I know that it's just going to be a part of my life you know from here forward there may be times when I'm more focused and more driven and then you know, other times but overall I know why that is and, and I'm a big believer that the person who is that person has an understanding of the behaviors that That it it takes to create that lifestyle and so I kind of just started doing this podcast it's actually been a year since I've been doing this podcast and I only do it once a month so it's a monthly podcast that I do and it's kind of trying to be different to what most fitness content out there most fitness content is trying to sell image and I'm a real big believer in in growth through fitness both physically and mentally and so this, this show is really about the behaviors you know, that you can have in your life that can help you be more successful fitness and in this latest show that I'm going to put on here is it's on the concept of black and white rules and I probably won't talk too much about it right now, I'll just chuck it on and you guys can have a listen and uh, enjoy. Here we go. If I have one area of my life that I would consider to be a weakness, it would be coke, chips, and chocolate. I'm a pretty disciplined person. I don't drink alcohol, I don't smoke, I don't do drugs, and over the years I've really learned to to have a a lot of discipline in my life. But if I were to have, you know, that one temptation that sometimes I can be a little bit weak around is it's those three things, coke chips and chocolate really. Now, I'm not one of those people who feels that you can't ever have bad things in your life, or, or, you know, like, I'm kind of a believer that a good level of moderation in, you know, some of your temptations in life, it's fine to have it, it's it's just when you lose control of those temptations that I, you know, we need to work on, And, and for me... I tend to have these periods where I have a good level of these things in my life and then I have periods where sometimes I just start to have too much of chips and chocolate or, or sweet is probably the better way of putting it. And this year, around May, I started to notice that I was starting to include these things in my life in a, a kind of in a day-to-day way where I was trying to find ways to include more of that those kind of foods into my life and I was kind of fascinated by what was causing me to do it and you know I kind of tend to go deep with everything so I, I identified that you know I was kind of going too far with it. So for the month of June I set myself a target of not having any of those three things in my life. So in the month of June I could have no Fizzy drinks, basically, no Coke Zero, no Sprite Zero, no fizzy drinks. I was allowed no sweets, so no lollies, no chocolate or anything like that, and I was allowed no potato chips. So on the first of June, I, or the you know last day, leading up to June, then the first of June came along and I cut off those foods. Throughout the next month, I was fascinated at how easy it was for me to resist the thing that still in my life is a little bit of temptation that can get out of hand. For the month of June, I found it extremely easy to not have those foods. This was really fascinating to me, you know, how is it that you can have this one thing that, you know, is a bit of a temptation on the mind often? How can it be that, you know, when you say that you're not going to have it, it suddenly becomes so easy? I have to admit, by the end of the month, you know, end of June, I was starting to think of, you know, having some cokes and stuff. And so, you know, the end of June, July came along, and the first of July, I did go a little bit nut bar on on those foods. But it got me thinking, and I have this thing called a monthly challenge. Now, if you go to my website, com, on the monthly challenge page, I have a local monthly challenge, which I try to set up local events for uh, local people doing you know trying different sports and just getting people out there doing activities I'm a, I'm a big believer that if you're going to create content you have to be walking the walk and so I try to be great in fitness myself and I try to inspire and create environments where people can experience different sporting movements and have success around it so I have my local one on the website but then I also have an international monthly challenge and it's basically once a month I send out an email, and, and if you want to go onto my website and join us, feel free. But once a month I send out an email with just some kind of challenge. So throughout this year I've had things like, how many press-ups can you do in a month? You know, and if you did 1,000 press-ups in that month, you, you know that's pretty cool. If you did 2,000, it's unbelievable, and so on. Other things I've done is um, you know, the time trial race against yourself so you would choose an activity at the beginning of the month and you may have to run you know, 5Ks at the beginning of the month and throughout the month you have to train up to the end of the month so you can be faster at that 5K race at the end of the month. At the end of June I thought, well what a cool idea to do the monthly challenge based on what I have just done. So for the month of August I set out the email of the monthly challenge that stated that for the month of August you have to choose one area of your life where you have temptation that you think you may sometimes go out of control of and you have to remove that temptation from your life for that month. Different people chose different things. Some people were like me and they chose, you know, the chocolates and the sweet foods or, you know, the fatty foods. Some people chose alcohol. Some people removed uh, coffee from their life. You know, different people had different things. You got to choose your own temptation. So the month started and I was really fascinated to see if the people on my database doing this experience were having a similar experience to what I had in June. Were these people going to find it? easy to resist the temptation that normally in their everyday life would be a real struggle to, to, you know, to resist and what I found was it really was the case throughout the month I started getting emails from people just saying wow I'm finding it really easy to resist you know my alcohol in my life or my chocolate and there's a real example that was really interesting to me there's a lady at the gym at my theory classes I do um, RPM which is like a spin class And there's a lady called Michelle who comes to my RPM classes all the time. Michelle is a a mum of two children. She's got this wild kind of short bob cup curly hair and um, a real, real just lovely person who's got a nice energy about her. Loves to just kill herself when she's training. When you're teaching a class you look down on Michelle and she's always got a head down going as crazy as she can. And Michelle, you know, when she found out we were doing this challenge, just came up to me and started talking to me about it and saying, well, I'm going I'm I'm to resist now. I'm pretty sure hers were like chocolate for a month. You know, chocolate was her temptation. I'm going to resist chocolate for the month of August. So throughout the month, we started, you know, she'd see it at the gym every week and she'd give me an update on how it's going. And like me, she was fascinated with how easy it was for her to resist chocolate in her life that once she decided that for this month she wasn't going to have chocolate, suddenly the thing that had always been the big temptation, it's like it no longer existed for her, that she was able to develop strategies to remove that from her life. <clears throat> By the end of the month we, we caught up again and I remember a few days before the end of the month she had to admit that she was looking forward to getting some chocolate back in her life, but. You know, she she felt she'd learned some really good strategies to overcome the temptation and that once she had chocolate back in her life, she'd be able to develop some, you know, maintain those strategies so she could have a healthier level of that temptation. Fast forward a couple of months down the piece and we're at the gym and we're talking about something, I can't remember exactly what it was, and we went back to the, the month of August, the monthly challenge, and Michelle said to me, It's funny, I've pretty much gone back to the habits I had. Before I did the monthly challenge. And it fascinated me, because this was the experience similar to what everyone else had been telling me from this experience. Why was it that in the month of August, Michelle and so many other of the people on the database and myself in June, were able to resist this temptation that was normally so hard for them? But then, once we went back from out of that environment or that place, we found it so hard to maintain those habits. It's got me doing some research and got me thinking about, um, you know, this this whole concept of what was happening in in the situation. And and the research really pointed me towards the concept of black and white rules. That's almost easier when you have a black and white rule around something. What is a black and white rule? A black and white rule is basically you either do or you don't. So for example with me, I don't drink alcohol. I'm a total teetotaler, I never, ever drink alcohol. Okay, So that's a black and white rule. There's no way I ever drink alcohol. I don't consider ever drinking alcohol. What a black and white rule does is it eliminates the rationalization of the thing that you want to do an example of it would be with alcohol so let's say for example i want to if i did drink alcohol and i like a glass of wine every night and a, a healthy level for me would be have a glass of wine with dinner every night but occasionally i may want to have a little bit more than that so because of that i may think to myself you know well what i'll do is instead of you know having half a glass of wine at night i'll fill it right up to the top Just to make sure I can get that little bit more out of it, I'm rationalising how I can have more of that temptation, or I may even go, "Well, I have two glasses of wine tonight because I'm going to be training really hard tomorrow, so that allows for me to have that little bit extra." That when we have these things in our life, when we have it, we go to the rational place. We're we're fighting against our mind, rationalising why we should be allowed more of the temptation. But when we have a black and white rule, I don't drink alcohol, your mind does not even consider the possibility of having that temptation. Black and white rules eliminate willpower. They eliminate willpower. When you have vague rules or open rules that are open to temptation, you are going into a rationalization place where you have to use willpower. It's almost like you have a lawyer whose job it is to find a loophole in the contract that you've created with yourself and the lawyer is just at you the whole time, giving you reasons, rationalizations on why you should do what you are doing. Whereas when there's a black and white rule, there's no option. So your mind looks for strategies for you to be a bit successful based on those rules. I thought I'd give you an example of... A situation I had recently that really kind of you know highlighted this. I, I travel a lot for my job. I get to travel around a lot and I spend a lot of time in airports throughout that travel and um recently I, I noticed something start to happen with myself around this whole black and rule white rules. I was um, at the airport and I was really hungry. This is probably about 18 months ago and I was really hungry. And What I hate about airport is how much they charge you for stuff. Now, if you know me, you know I'm a bit of a tight bum when it comes to money. I don't like wasting money on on unnecessary things. And I always find it really frustrating when you're at the airport and you're hungry and the amount they charge for food. Because I kind of feel it's daylight robbery that, you know, they've got a monopoly on location. So they, they know they can charge you more. So I'm at the airport and I'm looking at some healthy food options, but really it's going to cost me like $25. I think it may have even been somewhere like US, so like $25 US, which in New Zealand is probably 40 bucks just for a meal, and I, I was getting a little bit frustrated by that. I look next to me, and there's Burger King. Now I haven't done, you know, one of my black and white rules is no fast food, and that I haven't done fast food in like 14 years of my life, having had McDonald's, having a Burger King, having a KFC, in a long, long time. But in this moment, I just thought to myself, I can pay 25 bucks for a healthy meal where I can do it once off and have a Burger King and pay 10 bucks and get a good feed in. So, you know, I went to Burger King and, you know, the tight side of me won. And I went over to Burger King and admittedly I kind of went OTT because I never had Burger King. I, you know, upsized the meal and I got a large drink and I got a Sunday and I ate so much food I felt sick. On the way home from that trip, I kind of thought to myself, well, you know what? I could probably have Burger King again. Maybe I'll make it the rule that whenever I'm at airports, I can have Burger King. And that's what started to happen. Over the next few months, whenever I travelled, I'd hit the airport, and I'd go straight to Burger King to order my meal. And it was actually quite funny, just looking back on it right now, is that I was almost looking forward to travel so that I could have fast food. But then I noticed something really interesting happen. When I was at home away from the airports in my everyday life, the idea of doing fast food again became appealing. That I started to think, it was like the lawyer in me was finding loopholes in my contract and starting to think of ways that I could include fast food back in my life. And it got to the point where I bought fast food a few times. I bought McDonald's, I bought um, Burger King a couple of times, and I even had KFC. Now, again, I'm not picking on these companies, that, you know, if you want to have those food, that's okay. But for me, for like 14 years of my life, it had been all easy for me to resist these temptations. But because I'd let this little rule of allowing myself to have temptation of of fast food at airports, suddenly it started to come into my everyday life. Now I was pretty aware of what was happening in that moment so I kind of just went back to my black and white rule. Now when I'm at airports I just pay the extra money because I feel overall the effect of that rule has a healthier benefit on my life. What was also really interesting was when I eliminated, or I went back to my black and white rule, was that, you know, it became easy again. I didn't have to, to rationalise, I didn't have to fight the battle. It was like, it was just become easy again to resist that temptation. It was like no longer a problem. What's happening here is that when we have black and white rules, our mind becomes great at developing strategies for you to be successful in maintaining those rules. I'll go back to the Michelle example earlier on in the, in the show. You know, when in the month of August, it was really interesting talking, actually probably more at the end of the month before she went back into having chocolate in her life. It was really interesting. She was saying, you know, I just seem to find these ways to avoid it. And it was, it was like it was really easy for her. And that's what you find when you have black and white rules. Your mind has an ability to figure out a successful strategy around it because it knows you're not allowed it. I suppose you know let's look at you know up to this point I've really just talked about um you know the nutritional side of things but let's look at it as an athlete I, I was in a race a few years ago a race called Challenge Route which is like an iron distance race over in Germany and it's it's an amazing race that you have like there's a section of it where you ride through like 30,000 spectators and it's just you know one of the highlights of my life and And at this race there was a race between third and fourth between a guy called Chris McDonald who is one of the world's top triathletes and another guy called Luke Dragster who again is another top triathlete. Now in this race they were basically shoulder to shoulder in the last part of the run and in Ironman which is a long distance endurance sport it's pretty rare to have a sprint off at the end of the race but these two guys were racing for third were pretty much shoulder to shoulder with a few k's to go in the race. It got to the point in the race where it really looked like it was gonna be you know, just a, a sprint finish to the line and they you were know, racing along and it's all pretty exciting and at the last point of the race, Luke Dragster just blew away and beat Chris McDonald. You know, he sprinted away of probably about three or 400 metres to go and, and topped Chris McDonald. And I actually caught up with Luke Dragster after the race. I was just having a talk to him about him, you know, saying, hey, wait on your race. And you know, how did it go? And, and we had a bit of a talk and I said to him, you know, how were you feeling leading into those last few Ks where you're shoulder to shoulder with Chris? Were you really worried that, you know, maybe it could go wrong or, you know, if he's going to top you? And And he gave me quite a confident answer and he said, you know what, I knew I had him. And, and I was kind of, you know, like, you know, a bit taken back by, and I said, well, what do you mean? And he goes, well, when I train, I have this rule that I always have to go as hard as I can in the very last part of my training. So when I go swimming, I always really kill the last bit of the swim, and whenever I ride, I try to, you know, race the last K of the ra- ride, and when I go for a run, the last 500 meters, I always sprint the last bit home. Luke Dragster had mentally prepared and trained himself because he had a black and white rule for that moment in racing. Now, traditionally in Ironman, which is a long endurance sport, you don't tend to do much speed work. You know, if you're a short course triathlete, you'll do a lot more speed work. But for the Ironman, they're not really going to be practicing their sprints that much. But because Luke Dragster had this black and white rule around his training, it helped him to be successful on race day. Gave him confidence in his ability because he knew he always practiced it and then he was able to apply that in the critical moment of the race. So before I was talking a lot around the nutritional rules, you know, up to this point in the podcast, I have, But what about your rules based around your training? What rules do you have around your training? And could you create some more black and white rules to help you be more successful in doing that? You know, we can look at the Luke Dragster example just here, you know, I always go hard at the end of a session. It's a black and white rule that you can maintain. It can come down to how you set up your gear. I always pack my bags the night before I train. You know, one rule I've incorporated a lot lately is is the content I listen to. Um, I'm I'm a big person who likes to consume a lot of content, so I love listening to audiobooks and and other podcasts, and, and I also love music. And I've found over the years that... I train more effectively when I have music when I'm training. Um, I, you know so if I'm trying to do quality sessions, I have music. you know so one of the rules I've set for myself around content is that when I'm tra- you know, traveling for transport so I, if I'm riding my bike around town to get to A to B, I'll listen to audiobooks or if I'm at home and I'm working on the computer, I'll listen to podcasts. But when I'm training, I'll listen to music that inspires and motivates me. This is a black and white rule that I know helps to create success in my training, which gives better outcomes both physically, mentally, and competitively as well. So have a look at some of the rules that you have based around exercise. Are they taking you to a rational place where the lawyer is looking for the loopholes in your, in your strategy that help you to create weakness and inaction around your fitness? Or are your rules black and white It creates certainty which allows your mind to develop strategies to be successful in doing that. Another thing to start to become aware of is when you've gone from a place of a black and white rule back into the rationalisation place. My fast food example earlier on is is a really great example of that. I had this really clear black and white rule that helped me maintain a good healthy balance in life. And then slowly I took it from a black and white solid place to a place of rationalization by allowing that Burger King to come into my life. The faster, you know, and in my example, you know, luckily, well not luckily, but, you know, what I did well was that I was able to figure out, you know, that I was going to this place pretty quickly and just went back to my black and white right rule. So in your areas of your life where maybe in the past you've had some really great black and white rules, but then switched slowly over to the rational place. Maybe identify, you know, what are you doing around nutrition? What are you doing around fitness that are helping you or are moving you away from the solid black and white place to the rational place where you're fighting willpower, you know, to be successful in these areas. Another really good tip is to look to the people who are successful in the areas that you want to be successful in. So if you have a friend who you know is really fit or really healthy or, or has really good dietary habits, what are the rules they have around this? So I know I have, an example of this I have is uh, there's a lady called M um, who's a sports nutritionist in New Zealand and also a top elite athlete and she came around to my house not so long ago to do an interview for my other podcasts and when I had her on she told me how she's just recently turned vegan I said, whoa, vegan's kind of pretty full on, how did you do that? And she goes, it was really easy once we decided to do it. Again, because she had set a black and white rule around this way of living, she was able to create success around that. So look to some of the people in your life and just ask them, what are some of the rules that you have around the area that you're struggling in? So if it's junk food, what are the rules that you have around junk food? What are the rules that you have around exercise? And see by putting those into your life, what kind of effect they will have on your life. I think ultimately what you need to do is you need to trial it. Set a period of time, maybe you could do a monthly challenge like I did in August with with my database. Set a time, a period of time, you can maybe go shorter a week or whatever, but set a period of time where you remove a certain temptation or you add a certain rule to your training in your life. And just notice what happens in that experience for you. You know, you could try it for a week, let's say for a week, you know, I go back to my place of no chocolate for a week. And notice that once I've set that black and white rule, once you've set that black and white rule, notice how you've come up with strategies to be successful. You know, you'll probably think, you know, you'll probably find that you don't buy chocolate and you don't have chocolate around the house. You'll probably find... Um, you know, the ways that you normally consume chocolate, you'll lessen them and you'll find ways to, you know, other strategies to be successful. You may look for healthier options at those times to help replace the food need at that time. And then at the end of that period of time, ask yourself, is it worth me bringing that temptation back in my life? Is it worth me bringing that temptation back in my life? Now for some of you, you know, for me at the end of the day, I maintain a really healthy level of those foods. So for me, I don't get it to the point where I'm feeling bad. Like admittedly in May this year I did, but for me I'm actually okay with having a little bit of Coke, chips and, and the fizzy drinks because I can maintain a healthiest level at times. I need to sharpen up. But, you know, overall I live in a place where I live a pretty healthy life, so that's okay. But if you have an area of your life that you know is creating unhealthiness for you, Is it a better thing to maybe make it a black and white rule that you don't have that in your life anymore? And then when you look at your training, are you just going through the motions? Are you just ticking the box? Or are you not even training? And what are some of the black and white rules that you could create around the procedure of training? You know that stuff I talked about earlier, You know, like setting up the bag the night beforehand, um maybe getting someone to come along with you know I always train in groups or whatever it is. You know, what's the procedure that gets you to the point where you're exercising? And what are some black and white rules that you can create around that so that you always do that? And then in training, what can you do to help you be more successful to achieve better outcomes from your sessions? You know, in my industry you see people who turn up and they turn their low legs over for an hour on a bike and, you know, they don't even get their heart rate up. And sometimes you wonder, well, What was the point of that hour? Whereas maybe if they had some good, clear, black and white rules around their training, they'd be more successful in creating sessions that were delivering the outcomes that they desired. So trial it. Give it a try and see what you think. I have created a workbook for this one, I create a workbook for every um, podcast that we do and this time I've created a workbook that's really helping you identify some areas where you've got some black and white rules and where you can create some more black and white rules and some, you know, just some learning experience around you to create some more awareness. So if you want to check that out you can go to my website, it costs you two bucks, get it off the website and, and check it out. Spend some time reflecting and, and creating awareness around these things. Rationalization is is a hard thing to beat. It's like you have a devil on your shoulder and the devil on your shoulder is is showing you your temptations. It's talking in your ear about these temptations. It's putting pictures in your mind about what these temptations will bring to your life. It's working like that lawyer trying to find those loopholes in your in your contract to be healthy. And when we're in that rational place, we're using our willpower to fight really hard, but it's hard but if we create black and white rules in our life it's like we've made that devil just disappear and that we're able to find strategies that create success in the areas that we want to be successful in life so spend some time, trial it find the areas you need some black and white rules add them into your life for a period of time and notice the difference it has I think you'd be surprised and then maybe you could incorporate them as an ongoing thing If you guys enjoyed uh, the episode, I, there was one I did about um, four or five months ago, so I can't actually, I haven't really re-listened to it right now, but one thing I do do with this behaviour that I don't do, we don't do if I am talk, is I actually sell workbooks that go along each episode, alongside with each episode, and basically it's a PDF you buy. And it's basically a series of questions designed around you applying the learning that I've just talked about on the show right then. So if you are interested in maybe getting the workbook, I only charge $3 US for the workbook, so it costs bugger all. And it's basically a PDF, around 10 to 12 pages long, and just takes you through a series of questions that you can sit down and actually consciously choose to add some of these black and white rules into your life and the areas that maybe you need to be a bit sharper on. I didn't really talk too much about the training effect, or I can't remember if I talked about the training effect too much in this one but I do think black and white rules in training is a really good thing to talk about actually I think now I may have actually talked about it on the show but the thing is is to have some black and white rules around your training is a really good thing to happen you know I always finish my wrong run strong and hard I always leave on time, whatever those rules will be, if you can set them in place, it just creates better behaviours around your training so you can be more effective in the training that you are doing. So again, if you want to get a workbook that you can use to, you know, to maybe to your training or maybe to some areas of your life where you do have some behaviours you would like to be stronger on, go to, um, I'll have it on this week's show notes which is dub dub dub. me, and there'll be a little link there and again it's just $3 US bit of a no-brainer the other thing is if you did enjoy that and you want to get my other episodes of fitness behaviour you can go to my website bevanjamesisles.com and I'll have a link to it that on me. and you can just subscribe from iTunes there or get the older shows there and we've got 12 shows that I've done so far and uh, it's got a real big following that show so it's obviously I'm doing something right so you know check it out and uh, and I suppose lastly as I did ask my last little promo for it tell some friends about it if you think they'll get some value around that kind of content <laughs> Lastly, our last sponsor, and today we've got ExtremeEndurance.com, and I'm just pulling up the website right now, let me have a look, X Endurance, look at that, my, my browser knows where I'm going, straight away, pull up the X, and it goes straight to X Endurance. Now one thing that X Endurance would love you guys to do is to become a friend of theirs on Facebook, and why is it valuable for you? Well first of all, if you click on the like button, then you can get to go to their Facebook page, which is really great, but one thing they do do sometimes, if you're a friend of theirs on Facebook, is they sometimes offer some pretty great deals, and so if you've Got the I like button happening, and then you go on your news feed on Facebook. Sometimes you may notice that they actually have a deal that you can get hold of. So, um, you know, you you know, if you want to get a good deal on the X Endurance, check it out. And they sometimes even have competitions and things like that there. The other thing they are—they're actually pretty good when it comes to posting content on Facebook. They're really good at keeping updated with just content around the athletes that have done really well, or um, you know, like for example, they've got a, a link to an interview with the Red Hot Chili Papers bass player Flea, asking him, he ran the LA Marathon to raise money for Silver Lake Conservatory. So, um... Oh, I wonder what time you did a marathon. And <laughs> see, see, this is what happens when you do these things, guys. You you go on these websites and you find out where all this good content. But um, if you check it out, and then you, they have good articles that so they're not just kind of plugging you with big stuff about the business all the time. They're kind of actually giving you good information. It's kind of interesting that you know for an athlete like us, us um, endurance athletes, most of the contents are really good. And then you get that odd deal. Oh, here we go. Here we go. It's pulling up something about. Oh, oh! I better stop this. <laughs> I have to say I'm pretty excited because the Red Hot Chili Peppers are one of my favorite bands of all time, and they've got a new album coming out in a couple of weeks, and um, I'll be pretty, I'm be pretty—I'm going to be buying that on the first day. But um, anywho. So, one thing to do with extreme endurance is to click on the i like button so you get all those deals on Facebook and just as some great content we've talked about the effect of extreme endurance in the past, and I'm pretty much committing myself to doing a marathon at the end of the year, so um I'm going to be starting to really dig into the extreme endurance because I really want to kind of fight that muscle fatigue and the feedback we've been getting from 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 you guys, really, you know the feedback and even as Tamsin was saying in her own training earlier on the interview that. You know this stuff seems to work, and I'm no scientist, so I'm not going to say the science behind it. What, what I loved about Timson was uh, I, I'm not sure if we said this in the interview, but you know she goes, "Well, if you read the research, it must work." And <laughs> there's such a doctor's way of thinking, whereas John and I are just like, "Oh yeah, well, we'll give it a try," and it seems to work. So um, yeah, check it out if you are looking to to fight that lactic buffer. And, and the feedback we're really getting is that it really, really helps to reduce muscle soreness after training, which makes you perform better in your next day's training. So. Check it out, xendurance.com, and you can't go too far wrong. So just quick, quick, oh, I've got a text. Is that from John? No, it's not. Um, it's somebody else. I'll leave that one alone. Um, so the sponsors quickly are, com for your social network for endurance athletes, um, Coffees of Hawaii, the uh, decaf, and Extreme Endurance, just because Tamsin said so. So, uh, what else has been happening? So, well, I tell you what, John's chosen a great time to leave Christchurch because a few weeks ago we had a bit of snow. And I don't, for, it's funny when you live in a city that doesn't normally get snow because uh, last night or the last two nights we've had massive downfalls of snow. Now, massive for us is probably not massive for a lot of guys listening into the show, but our city never has snow. Like in Christchurch in my lifetime, I probably remember three times we've had, you know, real snow, not just a, a bit of a spluttering actually, you know, where it's on the ground and you're kind of up to your knees in it. And uh, we're up in the hill right now and it, it's it's just bloody beautiful to be honest, I'm not kind of used to it, but John's chosen a good time to be away because the city, it's funny when you live in a city that doesn't snow all the time, um, our city's pretty much come to a standstill. like yesterday no one went to work, last night's dump was more, so today you no know, one will be going to work as well, so it's kind of it's kind of crazy really you know like but it's also quite pretty so we're just kind of enjoying it it's quite nice for me because I work from home mostly so I've just been working from home but I must say it hasn't really helped my training I was meant to do a three hour run the other day and that didn't happen so I've got this big race coming up in a month and I'm missing some real key sessions but second half of this week, I'm going to be an absolute animal. Um, John's on Epic Camp. Now, if you do want to follow up on what the boys are doing on Epic Camp, uh, I think they've got one chick, so the boys, the people are doing on Epic Camp. You can go to epiccamp.com. They've got the daily blogs. I went and read John's first blog the other day, and it sounds like he's going to be pretty busy for the first week. They've got Scott Molina doing some writing, uh, Madman Lord, Russell Cox, Douglas, there's a few people doing daily updates on the epic camp experience so you can check it out at epiccamp.com they also have photos and, and all that good stuff uh, also if you are thinking about doing John's camp um, you know you can email us and I'll send you through to John so you can information you and know the information about it, it's a Kona camp, it's a 7 day camp, it's going to be a really wicked experience and it finishes off doing the Kona 70.3 so uh, uh, you know and yeah, Epic camp really is as much as Molina and Gordo have been a part of it it's really John is the man behind it doing all the hard yards and so Um, you know, when John puts on a camp, you're going to be treated really well. He knows how to make the most of a camp and deliver a really, really great experience. So if you are thinking about doing a camp, you know, in your mid-season next year, I highly recommend that you email John and check out his camp that he's going to be doing in Kona because it's a seven-day camp and it'll be absolutely phenomenal. Anyway, um, I think I'll pretty much wrap up the show for now. It's pretty much been this week. Um, hopefully I'll get hold of John this weekend we'll have some epic camp interview for you guys next week and then the week after next we'll be back to normal and to be honest, the week after that we'll be really starting our Kona countdown really because... It's a pretty exciting times guys, we're going to Kona and it's going to rock and roll, so that's uh, this week's show, um, just one quick note, Heltel met John on the, webs- on the camp as we were talking about last week and uh, he took them for a ride up the hill and apparently they had a really great ride and I've got a, webs- a photo actually, not a website, I've got a photo that I'm going to put on the website of Heltel and John up the top of some beautiful mountain, it's a really great photo and uh, I'm sure John will talk about that ride when he gets back from Everett Camp, so that's this week's show, Uh I'm going Rust- no Oh, see, I always say that a bit. John goes, I'm Russ. I say, I'm Mendo, Don't. Train hard, train smart. Kia kaha.